Hi, my name is Laura. Welcome to Books Without Covers. Today we're going to answer the question, what is literature? We're going to be discussing literature as a whole, regardless of country, language, or origin. In our search for an answer to this question, we are going to talk about oral tradition and written tradition. And then at the end of the episode, we will discuss some examples and whether they are or not literature. So, without further ado, let's begin with the first one. Oral tradition is usually referred to as storytelling, and its most important characteristic is that it is passed on from one generation to the next, and it can be found in the form of songs, poetry, chants, and dance. My favorite thing about oral tradition is that it seems to be a much more collaborative effort so that with the passing of time, the individuals would have a much bigger say on how their traditions are shaped and what pieces of information get added on for the coming generation. Oral tradition is much more flexible, much more malleable, as opposed to written tradition, which we'll talk about a little later. Now, this tradition is usually divided in two subcategories, fairy tales and legends. And in order to understand oral tradition better, it's important to define each and see what the relevance in this discussion of what constitutes literature is. So what are fairy tales? These are wonder tales that involve marvelous elements and occurrences. They are characterized by the presence of fantasy, supernatural, or make-believe aspects. And usually there's also the ultimate good versus evil conflict. For the understanding of fairy tales, you have to think of your classic once upon a time stories. And if you want more specific examples, think of Cinderella, Red Riding Hood, The Happy Prince... These are just some of the examples that come to mind right now. I am sure that you know of dozen other examples too. These are fairy tales are usually the stories that come to mind when I think of my childhood, when I think of sitting or lying in bed and my mom sitting next to me and the stories that she would tell me to get me to fall asleep. However, these days when we mention fairy tales, Quickly, there is a picture of soft colors, a woody area, chirping birds, princes and princesses. All this comes to mind. And this is one of the aftermath effects of Disney. Another one would be the classic and they lived happily ever after. Classic, classic ending. I find this incredibly ironic you know, this ending, this happily ever after kind of ending. If anything, it's, it's disingenuous to what the stories originally were. Because a lot of fairy tales were in origin, more grim, more explicit. Because that way, the message really got across. You have to think of the Grimm brothers and their fairy tales. If you read the original Cinderella you quickly realize that the glass slippers are a teeny tiny bit blood-stained at the end of the story. So I, I guess Disney has done a little bit of damage here, but that's what fairy tales are. On the other hand, we have legends. And legends are tales of things that are supposed to have actually happened. 
They have also suffered the Disney effect a little bit, but not so much. However, Hollywood has had a go at them multiple times. Some of the characteristics of legends now, they resemble folk tales in content, meaning that there are supernatural beings, there's mythology, there's magic, things of the kind. But they are usually associated with a particular locality or a person, and they are told as a matter of history. If we want to think of classic examples of this, then the Trojan War and one of my favorites, King Arthur, your go-to examples for legends. In fact, let me share with you an interesting fact. One of the one of my initial links to English literature and my deep love of the language was the legend of King Arthur because I thought it was so it was so interesting and there was a time when I was a lot younger where the line between the story, the legend itself and the history of the UK was a little blurry in my mind. So anyway, because legends and fairy tales are shared by word of mouth, the contents may vary from region to region. The origins may be forgotten and sometimes the contents of the legends and the fairy tales themselves are even lost. Like any story that is retold enough times, little details eventually change, individuals fill in the gaps with the recollection of the story. These are some of the aspects that characterize oral tradition and make it such a unique way of connecting the members of a society, members that would add their contributions, however small, and would have a much bigger say on the way that their culture, their customs were crafted, the way that they were passed on from one generation to the next. A pause here, some emphasis there, and the oral tradition becomes more nuanced, it becomes more alive. And that is something that only oral tradition has. In contrast, we have written tradition, which is characterized by, you guessed it, it is written. However obvious this may be, this distinction is key because it ensures that stories live on virtually undisrupted and unmodified for centuries, in some examples even millennia. So what is relevant about the written tradition? Well, customs are celebrated without as much alteration with the passing of time, and because the culture would no longer need its elders to teach the younger generation, then learning becomes a more individual process. One has the option of knowing more or less, as well as the choice of what it is that they want to learn. A choice that only gets intensified with the widespread of literacy. Be literate and no longer take the word of your elders as the only possible truth. Written tradition changed not only the way that we tell stories, but also the ways in which members of a culture engage with one another. Again, this is absolutely fascinating. Written storytelling is divided in four main genres, you may know them, poetry, drama, fiction, and nonfiction. And each of them obviously contains a world of subgenres. And with written tradition comes the main vehicle for these stories, the book. 
There is no question that at this point the art of storytelling becomes more familiar and relatable, because now we can picture the never-ending aisles of bookshelves, our fingers slipping through the spines of books, some of which predate the printing press, some of which aren't even books, an easily quotable journey to our past history. Although there's many things that differentiate them, we have to think of written tradition and oral tradition as the two sides of the same coin. They both share characteristics and influence one another. Although we cannot say, obviously, that written tradition influenced oral tradition back when writing didn't exist. But I do think that the influence of oral tradition today is incredibly important in our entire understanding of literature. The very best example of this symbiotic relation is Homer. After all, the Odyssey and the Iliad are written legends of mythological heroes whose deeds were originally passed on from one generation to the next by word of mouth. If tragedy struck in ancient Greece, it was because the gods were angry and their wrath merciless. So, Oral tradition that still lives on in the form of a written text that has been praised and studied for centuries now, and surely will continue to be so. So like I said, Homer is the best example of the point where oral tradition and written tradition meet together. But like I said at the beginning, we're going to discuss some more specific examples. I bring you today two examples of orality that still live on. The first one comes from Australia, where some of the Aboriginal peoples navigate their territory through a series of songs that are popularly known as songlines, also known as dreaming tracks. These are like a map that is passed on from one generation to the next, describing the landscapes, the plants, the animals one would encounter. And as time passes, information gets added. Each individual actively participates in the creation of their tradition. There is, in fact, a song line that marks a 2,200-mile route. How incredibly amazing is that? Obviously, such a long route passes through many territories, which means that different sections of this song line are told in different languages, which is then out of respect and appreciation for other peoples. Which is also the reason why sound lines are sometimes referred to as cultural passports. Now let me ask you, how many more cool names can we give sound lines before it is popular knowledge that this form of oral tradition is beyond amazing? If there are any dubious listeners out there, did you know that sound lines have become popular modern parts of life? Here's an example within an example. The famous route across the Nullarbor between Perth and Adelaide comes from a song line. So here it is, oral tradition that has become the bare bones of a huge modern country, Australia. For our second example of reality, we cross the ocean from Australia to North America to visit Native American oral tradition. Native American cultures are rich in their oral tradition. They relied on their language to share their history, customs, rituals, and legends. In fact, they still recount tales of social behavior and tradition. 
Native American legends are usually told in groups of four, referring to the cardinal points, or in groups of seven, which are the cardinal points plus skyward, earthward, and center. These groupings being sacred to them, sacred elements that would come to life in stories where the hero would kill that many monsters or there would be that many brothers who had gone on the same adventure. And the effects of these stories depends so much on the narrator. The storyteller is the one that captures you and transports the listener to a different place so that each narrator spins the story and it gives it its own life with the power and natural unique undertones of their voice. These shows, once again, how the individual tellers of these stories, the individual members of a culture, have a much bigger say, a much bigger influence on how their culture is passed on. So that if in writing we have as many understandings as we have readers, in reality we could say that we can have as many understandings as we have storytellers. Now, American Indian myth usually starts with before the people came or when the coyote was a man. They place their stories within the world, unlike European fairy tales that begin with once upon a time, which is a vague illusion if there ever was one. Let's see now another example within an example, one of many. The Sioux people narrate the following creation story. The old man lived beneath the earth with his wife, and their daughter went on to marry the wind. She bore four sons, the winds north, east, south, and west. Together with sun and moon, the winds controlled the universe. But as the world was being created, Iktoma, the trickster, made trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know more. I want to hear more. <laughs> so in Native American oral tradition, there are several stories that tell the powers of the winds. And there are many more stories also that tell the, that are trickster stories. Each of these stories have their own characteristics and they are special to the many Native American peoples whose cultures and traditions are passed on through these legends, through these stories. I mean, one could, in fact, devote an entire lifetime to study and enjoy Native American myth, if only there were enough time to treasure everything. So oral tradition makes use of stories to pass on customs, lessons, to make sense of the world. If you have seen the show Vikings, then you would have seen them, the characters, sharing stories of Odin, sharing stories of Thor. And sure enough, this is done for entertainment and education for the children, but it is also how they explain natural phenomena, success, death, or failure. Things that otherwise may be attributed to chance. Suffering may become less painful if Odin or Zeus will it, I suppose. Taking on Zeus right here, the very first example that I brought you was Homer as the great bridge between both traditions, oral and written. But I have done some research and I would like to tell you about much older examples of writing. 
The oldest one that I found dates from 2500 before the Common Era. This is a Sumerian text called The Instructions of Shurupak. Apologies for the pronunciation there. What this is, is a collection of lessons and sayings that taught the individuals how to behave in society. Lessons like don't rape or you shouldn't pass judgment when you drink beer. True pieces of wisdom from 4,000 years ago. So how cool is this? Talk about drawing connections between our past and our present. You know, if you drink, don't judge others. After that, I found many examples from ancient Egypt. Many, many examples. The oldest one of them being from 2000 BCE is called the story of Sirohem, which again, pronunciation, apologies. This is considered to be ancient Egypt's greatest literary achievement. And I think this is beyond cool. I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I truly think it's amazing, especially because I don't think that we envision older cultures telling stories or seeking literary entertainment, which is clearly, as we're seeing, a false assumption. Now, let's move on to younger texts, though by no means modern. This next example dates from 1000 to 600 BCE, and it is a collection of classic Chinese poetry a collection of over 350 poems that is believed to be the oldest existing book of poetry in the history of Chinese literature. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And then from here we come around to Homer again, ancient Greece, and you know, some names that you may have heard of like Plato and Aristotle. And then from ancient Greece, you will allow me to hop around history quite loosely and quickly. Our next stop being the Romans, Virgil, Marcus Aurelius, Dante. Fast forward, and before we know it, we have arrived in the 14th, 15th century. Literature becomes now much more familiar. We have Chaucer, Shakespeare, Cervantes, Milton, Swift, Voltaire, Rousseau, and in the blink of an eye, it's 2022. If we take a moment to study and evaluate all of these examples, could we call all of them literature? Oral tradition can be difficult for the audience because they are unacquainted with the worldview, ethics, sociocultural setting, and personality traits of the people of these cultures. Many think of oral tradition in terms of primitive and underdeveloped customs. Many would not even consider them literature. But we have seen that orality can be complex. It can be beautiful, interesting, compelling, old and wise. Sure enough, it can also be simplified one Disney movie at a time. And as to whether oral tradition is or not literature, I think the answer is obvious. There is no question that literature and writing go hand in hand. But as long as we are raising questions, is everything written really literature? I would say, no, not all that is written is literature. See, the oldest example of writing that I introduced to you, the Sumerian collection of lessons and sayings, as fascinating and important as it is for the understanding of a culture and a people from long ago, I don't believe it is literature. Even within the clearer examples of 
literature, I feel compelled to differentiate between good literature and not so good literature. See Shakespeare, for example. Whether you are a fan or not, his writings are undoubtedly literature. Whereas other books, say Fifty Shades of Grey, could we say it is good literature? No. So what is then the answer to my question? What is literature? Well, I don't know that I have an answer myself. I don't know that we can come up with an answer. If I'm being honest, the greatest, most beautiful quality of literature is that there are as many interpretations as there are readers. So to give literature now a constrained, restrictive definition feels disingenuous. It feels like a betrayal of literature itself. But if I have to give a definition, my own personal view on what constitutes literature is a little blurry. It fluctuates with the seasons. But if I have to explain what literature is, then I would say that literature is stories. To me, literature is a story. Whether it is written or shared around a campfire is unimportant. They are all examples of literature. One thing is true and is that anything that isn't written seems to be taken less seriously. But may I ask if folklore and storytelling are part of literary programs and literary study worldwide, can't we then accept that literature can exist beyond the written page? By all means, we should study and approach oral tradition with as much care, respect, detail and enthusiasm as we do written texts. Written tradition and oral tradition are two sides of the same coin. They are interconnected, they depend on one another, and each of them tell equally important and necessary chapters of our history, of our story. Today, and in today's world, music has made camp right by Homer in that gray territory that exists between oral tradition and written tradition. In fact, think of think of rap, think of hip-hop. Are they literature? Well, I mean, there are some songs that are just poetic genius, each telling their own story. But this is a rather sensitive subject, just like Bob Dylan winning the Nobel Prize for Literature. And all of this is a discussion for another time. We have covered our bases with oral tradition and with written tradition, seen some examples, and I think come up with a little bit of a definition of what literature may be. I have shared with you what literature is to me. But if your description of literature differs from mine, don't hesitate to get in touch because I would love to share notes. With this, we shall finish for today. If you want to see the episode's notes and some additional information, then I invite you to visit my website, laurabernardino.com. That is L-A-U-R-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-I-N-O.com. There you can find some of my writings and on the tab podcast, then you can see all the information about the show. And with this, thank you for listening. Have a lovely day. Bye.